All right, church, we ready to dig into the word together? Amen. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and find your place in the book of Hebrews. We are uh, walking through a series called Behold Him. Behold Him. The idea here is uh, we want to be captivated with Christ. Uh, what, what captivates your heart determines who you become. So uh, we would say it this way. What you behold determines what you become. And so what we want to do together is behold Christ. We want to fix our mind's attention and our heart's affection on Jesus Christ and who he is. And today we're focusing in on one big idea. Our overarching truth for today in the book of Hebrews is this. Jesus Christ is our ultimate priest. Jesus is our ultimate priest. Um, now today we're, we're going to face some sobering realities today, sobering realities, but we're facing them with the best news you could ever imagine. Jesus is our priest. Now, the idea of a priest is maybe a bit foreign to us, um, unless, you, unless you grew up Catholic, but even then the, the little black robe with the white collar doesn't quite fit the picture uh, of the biblical idea. Um, when we talk about a priest, I want you to think about a mediator. Priest equals mediator. A, a priest is a go-between, right? It's the, the, the one to whom you go to go to um, the Father. So the priest mediates a relationship between man and God. It's a bit like if you wanted to book a, a big-name artist for a concert or something like that. Um, unless you've got some kind of special inside connection, you know them or their family or whatever... You're not going to speak directly to the artist. You're just not. You're going to call. You're going to speak to an agent or a manager or somebody. And that person is the go-between, right? Because um, you're not given access to the artist. You're not special enough for that. They're too big for you or whatever, right? I mean, I don't know how that works. Uh, they're happy to take your money, ready to do a show for their fans. But they don't really want relationship with you, Right? So you need a go-between. Well, with God, it's different. He's perfectly holy. Perfectly holy. And we are terribly sinful. So the relationship gulf, the gap of relationship is massive. We need a mediator. We need a bridge. We need a priest. We need Christ. So the writer of Hebrews calls us in chapter three, verse one. We looked at this verse last week. He calls us to consider Jesus or fix your focus on Jesus, the uh, apostle and high priest of our confession. So when he says that the apostle, he's talking about the one whom God sent. That's what the word apostle means. And he was sent with a message, right? Jesus came as a prophet. We talked last week how he's a better prophet, better than Moses. Jesus's message isn't come and do these laws. His message is come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a message, right? What an invitation. But it's an invitation to relationship with God, with Christ. Jesus came with that message, but he's not just a messenger. He's the mediator of that relationship. He didn't come just to tell us about it. He came to be the one who is the mediator of our relationship with God. So when he says he's the apostle and high priest, what he means is 
Christ has come to reveal God to man and represent man to God. That is who Jesus is as both our prophet and our priest. So we need a priest because we have a problem. Jesus's invitation to relationship with God is immediately met with our sinfulness. We, we want to walk into the presence of God. We just can't. Part of the reason the Old Testament was written is to paint that portrait that you, you can't come close to God. He's too holy for you. If you remember, they built a tabernacle with the Holy of Holies, and that was to, to maintain the separation. Or when God met with Moses on the mountain to give him the law, he said, don't even come close to the mountain. Anybody who come close to the mountain and touches this mountain, they will die. There's a maintaining of separation between God and man because God is holy and we are sinful. So this is our problem. We can't just walk into the presence of a holy God. We're sinners. We've rebelled against this God. We've sinned against him and our sin has separated us from him. We have a problem. I believe that probably one of the most damning problems today is the lack of seriousness about sin. We we laugh at sin. We're entertained by it on television and TikTok. We minimize our sin with euphemisms like mistakes, struggles, failures. But the Bible is very clear and paints A very stark picture about the seriousness of sin from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, how did God cover their shame and nakedness? How did he do it? Remember, Adam and Eve went and pulled leaves from the fig tree, right? And tried to make uh, coverings for their shame, their nakedness. But how did God cover their sin? You remember? The skins of animals. How do you get the skin off of an animal? Death. So from the very first sin, God's plan was bloodshed. Now, what is the point of this message? What, why, why kill an innocent animal? Animal didn't do anything. Why would we kill an animal to cover the sins of a, of a man? Well, there's probably lots of reasons, but I guarantee one of them is so that men would know how serious sin is. From the jump, God is showing us that he is serious about our sin. It's not funny. It's not a joke. It's not entertainment to him. Much of the Old Testament, the Lord is establishing a system to deal with sin. Read the book of Leviticus. That's what it's all about. The sacrifice, how to choose a sacrifice, how to make a sacrifice, how how much blood goes where, what kind of blood goes where. It's really gruesome, just to be honest. Why? Why Why the gruesome details? Why the slaughtering of animals? Because sin is serious. We're very removed from this world, aren't we? Um. What we're going to study today requires that we jump through lots of cultural hoops that we may never quite get through them. Because for the Jew, 
A worship service wasn't known for great music and a really cool theater and uh, just a cool vibe. Worship didn't feel that way. Worship was characterized by the slaughtering of an animal. The smattering of blood all over the place. The smell of flesh burning. This is what we don't get. Death was a key element of worship. Because it was the bridge between sinful man and holy God. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says in Hebrews, there is no remission of sins. So the sacrifices kept people thinking seriously about their sin, reminded them of the holiness of God. This is a separation they were constantly made aware of. I've sinned. I've sinned against God. I must go make a sacrifice. They knew they had a problem they could not fix. There was a separation they could not bridge. They needed a priest. Well, as we'll see today, even the sacrificial system and the priests of old couldn't fully resolve man's sin problem. It was a shadow of a greater reality. And today we celebrate the greater reality that Jesus is our ultimate priest. Now that you've gotten comfortable, um, we're going to stand and read some scripture. So the writer of Hebrews um, devotes about six chapters. You can go ahead and stand to your feet. He devotes about six chapters to this idea of Christ as our high priest. We're not going to read six chapters, but I do want to give you a couple of um, excerpts. Okay, so we're going to bounce a little bit. Let's start right in the beginning of Hebrews. And I want you to see how he introduces this idea of a priest um, in the first three verses. So the writer of Hebrews begins this way. Chapter one, verse one. Long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now listen to this next phrase. After making purification for sins, that's the role of a priest. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Flip over a few pages to chapter four. I want us to read verses 14 through 16 here. Since then, we have a great high priest Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every way, in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Flip over another page. Hebrews 7. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 22. This 
The fact that God made an oath to appoint Christ as a priest forever. God made an oath. Now, verse 22 picks up. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost. Oh, if you don't have that that line underlined or highlighted in your Bible, listen. He is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Now hold your place there. That's going to be our focus text this morning. But go one more page to Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, and we'll finish our reading here. Hebrews 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service. Did you notice that? Stands daily at his service. There's there's no chair in the Holy of Holies. There's nowhere to sit in the temple because the work of a priest is never done. He stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Praise God. Amen. Amen. What good news. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to fix our minds. We want to consider you, Lord, fix our minds and our hearts on you as our great, ultimate high priest. Help us, Lord, to jump through all the cultural hoops that we don't understand and to grasp these truths today. Please, God, help us for your name's sake. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, church, we have a problem. We have a massive problem and we need an ultimate solution. We need an ultimate solution. So we've established that sin separates us from God. There's there's a massive gulf that can only be bridged through justice. That we're talking about the death penalty can only be bridged through death. But God is merciful to us. While at the same time, executing justice on a sacrifice. So God upholds his honor as holy and righteous and just by displaying his love for us. While justly sacrificing his son and extending mercy to his children. This is the beauty of the gospel. God does not lay aside his righteous character as a judge 
No, he sends his son to be the sacrifice in our place. But until that point, God had set up a system of sacrifice. The the sacrificial system didn't take away sins. It simply covered them. This is the word atonement. It's the word covering. So the blood that was shed in the Old Testament was a covering. Uh, To to help with some of the cultural context, you, you would go to your priest. You would confess your sins. The priest on your behalf would offer a sacrifice. It would depend largely upon your economic status, what kind of a sacrifice you could afford. It would also depend on the severity of your sin. What kind of a sacrifice needs to be offered to cover your sin? So the priest then would hear your confession, would take your sacrifice and then go back and slaughter an animal so that the blood of that animal would be shed. Justice would be served and mercy could be extended to you. Now, it sounds great until you walk away and go, I'm glad I'm not as bad a sinner as that guy. And immediately you need to go back to the priest. Because your sin of the past was covered, the sin that you confessed. But now all of a sudden you sinned again. You're broken again. The gulf has come back again. And you've got to go back. We learn Hebrews teaches us that the system, while it was good, it was never meant to be permanent. It was a temporary shadow of a greater reality. I want you to see with me some deficiencies of this system. Okay, look at chapter eight, verse seven. You're going to need your Bible like all day today. Can we turn the lights up in the house a little bit? Um, Because everybody's going to need their Bible. All right, chapter 8, verse 7, look at what it says. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Here's what we know. The system that God set up, He didn't set it up to be the permanent fix, just a temporary display of His ultimate plan. The sacrifice, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. That was a temporary plan. And it was always meant to be incomplete. It was always meant to leave the people longing for something better. Because the prophets were constantly saying, there's a better priest coming. There's a better sacrifice coming. God will one day take care of this need completely. Look with me at chapter 5, verse 3. We're going to flip around quite a bit just to try to be as comprehensive as possible. Chapter five, verse three. Because of this, he is obligated. The priest is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. What we learn about this sacrificial system is part of its brokenness depend is that it depended on broken people, right? The priest is a sinner. Y'all know that, right? Like, um, just to be super clear, like, just because I'm here and you're there, the pastor is a sinner, right? Yeah. No, no need for amens there, okay? Uh, we all know it's true. Um, just swore I heard my wife right there, but... Listen, the priest was broken too. 
And this contributed to the brokenness of the system. Imagine going to a priest who's had a really bad day. And you go to confess your sins to him. Man, I'm Father, I, or they didn't call him Father then. Priest, uh, I've, I've really sinned today. Yeah, I know, you're just sorry. Uh, well, yeah, but like it, it was pretty bad and, and I'm, I'm real sorry. You are sorry. Get it over with. Can you imagine what it would be like going to confess your sins to a broken man who's also a sinner? Who, before he can offer sacrifice for you, has to go, go through a ceremonial cleansing and offer sacrifice for himself. Because he's impure. He can't go before God. Because he's a sinner. So the writer of Hebrews is saying the, the whole thing has been broken. It's, it's, the whole thing is incomplete. Chapter 7, verse 23 reiterates the same truth. The former priests were many in number, it says, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Imagine this scenario. Honey, I, I've sinned terribly. I, I've got to go to the priest. And on your way there, somebody goes, oh, John died yesterday. Oh. How am I going to be right with God? Well, they're, they're supposed to put another guy in service soon. Uh, but how, how, can, how can I make amends for my sin? <laughs> the priest died like all people die. But your whole relationship with Almighty God hinges on this person. He's your mediator. You need this priest. But he dies. He gets replaced over and over and over again. These are problems, right? It's the insufficiency. We need an ultimate solution, not just band-aids. Well, the sacrifices too have problems. We read in chapter 9, verse 9. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifice were offered that cannot perfect the conscience of a worshiper. Do you see that? Even the sacrifices offered are insufficient to purify you from sin. They only cover they only pretend your sin is not there. They don't actually wash it away. And you read in chapter 10, verse 4. Look at what it says here. Well, look at verse 3, actually. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year. And then verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So... Here the writer of Hebrews is repeatedly telling you the system is broken, the priest is broken, the sacrifices are broken. These things will not fix your problem. And here we come. We need an ultimate solution. And Jesus is the ultimate priest. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, after making purification for sins. That's such a short, concise statement to summarize the fact that he did it. Everything these priests and these sacrifices and this system were trying to do, he did it. After making purification for sins, he sat down. We read in, in chapter 10, the priests never sat down because daily they were at their they were at their post offering sacrifices, doing cleansing ceremonies, doing this, trying to do what they cannot do. They never sat, but Jesus. Not only did he sit, he put his feet up on his enemies. Hmm. Here's what we need to know. 
I want us to pick up on some big truths about our priests. And we're going to go quickly. This might be one of those messages you want to go back and listen to or think through because there's so much here. Hebrews took six chapters to do it, and I'm going to try in about 12 minutes. Jesus is like us and unlike us. He is like us and unlike us. Chapter 2, verse 17 says he is like his brothers in every respect. Chapter 4, verse 15 says he's tempted in every way. He came to be one of us. He would not be able to represent us before God if he were not truly one of us. So Jesus is fully man, 100% human. He faced everything you could imagine facing. When the Bible says he's tempted in every respect, here's what it means. He bore the full force of temptation. I want you to think for a moment what it would be like to never cave. We think about Jesus and we think, yeah, he was probably never tempted as harshly as I was tempted. Like, I mean, he's never faced Internet pornography or he's never faced go through the list. Right. Not true. The temptation that Jesus faced was infinitely harder than you've ever imagined. Imagine, if you will, walking face first into a hurricane force wind. That is the temptation. Hurricane force wind blowing at you and you're just trudging through trying to resist the temptation. But you're weak. And you fail and you cave and you fall back and immediately the force of the wind of temptation is relieved. You resisted for five minutes and caved to sin. And the pressure of temptation is alleviated. But Christ endured forever the temptation. Never caved. He faced temptation in a way that we could never imagine. Why did He do that? So that He could relate to you in your deepest, darkest, hardest moments. In the depths of your weakness, He's with you, except He's not weak. He is like us, and He is not like us. The Bible says, tempted in every way, yet without sin. Jesus was sinless. 1 Peter 2.22 says He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. 1 John 3.5, in Him there is no sin. We could go on and on. Jesus Tempted in every way, yet without sin. Every way that Adam failed in the garden, Jesus was victorious in the wilderness. When the enemy came to tempt Jesus, he was not defeated. But the temptations we read about with Christ, those few scenarios where Satan himself tempted Jesus, those are vicious moments. But don't be mistaken, they're not the only moments. We could go through the scriptures and just read in his humanity and think, how would how would I respond in these moments? You know, I think about when Jesus is sitting to dinner with Zacchaeus and there's all this money and gold and that stuff everywhere. As a human, I might covet. Jesus might have been tempted to want something Zacchaeus had, but he didn't give to sin. I think about when. Mary came in, a woman of the night, and fell at his feet and washed his feet with her hair. He might have been tempted to lust, but he did not sin. 
We could go on and on and on through the stories and think about how Christ might have been tempted. We know the Bible says Satan waited for an opportune time to attack him again. Jesus was constantly being attacked. And we know at least he was tempted in his last days to walk away from the very reason he came. But he said, nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. In Adam's weakness, we all die. But in Christ's strength, all who come live. Jesus is better. We've talked about the insufficiency of the priests. Today, we talk about how Jesus is better. This is the theme of the whole book of Hebrews. He is better. He is better. He is better. Well, Hebrews is making the claim that Jesus is better than the old covenant priests. He's better um, than the old covenant sacrifices. His blood is better. Everything is better. And here are some of the contrasts that show Jesus as superior. He is ultimate. First truth, he lives forever. He lives forever. He will be the eternal priest Earthly priests die, remember? That man that you needed to go to to be your bridge to God, he got sick. He's out sick today. Or he died. Even worse. I mean, that's incredibly inconvenient, <laughs> to say the least. But it's not just inconvenient. It is insufficient. But Christ lives forever as our eternal priest. He will never be replaced. This is good news if he's a good priest and he is. He lives forever. He saves to the uttermost. Hebrews 7.25. He saves to the uttermost. When you think about this word uttermost, I want you to think in two dimensions. There's probably better ways to talk about this, but I want you to think in two dimensions. First, I want you to mentally draw an arrow like forever into the future. Forever into the future. He saves for all time. Because Christ lives forever, his reconciling work never ends. So for all time, Jesus is working to reconcile his own to the Father for all time. But I want you to think about a second layer as well. I want you to think of an arrow going downward. And what I mean with that is the depths. The purification work of Jesus goes forever and it goes to the depths of who you are. Now think for a minute, if you have to go and confess your sins to a priest, and you're given just a few minutes, right, with the priest. There's a line of people behind you. They're all waiting their turn. And you nervously stand before the priest. And you've got your, your list. And you're, you know, quickly going through the list. I'm, I, I need, I'm, I've sinned in this way and, and this way. But even in the moments of confession, like underneath this sin, there's actually like a whole depth of other stuff. Way more stuff under the surface, but you're kind of just like, well, you know, I, I, I told a lie and um, and uh, I, I, I mean, how bad is this system? The priest then hears your shoddy confession 
And goes, well, you know, we probably should sacrifice this to cover those sins. And he goes to make a sacrifice that doesn't nearly atone for the death of your sin. Why? Because even you as the sinner confessing are insufficient. But the purification of Christ saves you to the uttermost. To the depths of your sin. You can't even bring it all to the surface. But he can. He goes down to the depths to save. He saves to the uttermost. Christ is better. His forgiveness is complete. Don't go to a priest. Come to Christ. He always lives to make intercession for us. Chapter 7, verse 25. This is a... Beautiful truth we don't often talk about. There's lots of ways the writer of Hebrews could have said this. He could have said, well, he constantly prays for you. He he will never stop praying for you. But he says this in a way to give us not just a glimpse of what Jesus does, but why he does it. He gives us a glimpse into his character. Listen, he always lives to make intercession for us. This says something about the, the kind of priest he is. Can you imagine coming to a priest who's annoyed by you? Don't think that didn't happen. Here comes Sally again. How many times is she going to come this week, guys? I mean, it's good night. Hi, Sally. How are you? Good to see you, right? But in his heart, he's like, golly, Sally, you know? I mean, look at what it says about Christ. He always lives. To make intercession for us. He loves to pray for you. He's interceding. Now why would Christ intercede? What, didn't, he, didn't He do it all at the cross? Why does He need to now intercede for us on our behalf? Well, it's because Christ doesn't just want to cover your sins. He wants to prevent your sins. He's, he's wanting not just to uh, be the atonement for your sin. He, he's not just accomplishing Uh, your forgiveness. He wants to apply the power of his forgiveness to your everyday life. So he's interceding for you, not just to forgive you, but so that you'll have the strength and power to resist and to walk in his strength. He's interceding for you. This is beautiful truth. I think for a moment, if you will, about Simon Peter. In Luke 22, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. Our Lord right now is praying for you. He's interceding. The work of forgiveness on the cross is done. But the work of faithfulness he's praying will continue. He always lives to make intercession for us. He is the sacrifice. Let's not gloss over this, right? Chapter 7, verse 27 says he offered up himself. Never once did an Old Testament priest think, Oh, hi, Sally. For your sin today, I'm going to kill myself. Never. Not ever. 
It was never even thought of. Like, we'll go back in the back and see what we can find to handle that. I mean, that was the way it worked. But never, ever would a priest have thought, you know what you need? You need me to die for you. There was never an idea of substitution here from person to person. Romans 5 says, rarely ever will a good man die for a bad person. But Christ demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died what? For us. He died for us. The Old Testament priest would have never considered giving his own life. Not only would he not considered it, he wouldn't have done anything anyway. He wasn't qualified to die for you. Because he too is a sinner. He can't be your rescuer. He needs to be rescued. But Jesus, the sinless one, is qualified to die in your place. And he gave himself up. He is the sacrifice. 727, chapter 7, verse 27, it says he did this once for all. Once for all. His one sacrifice is sufficient for all sinners for all time. Now get this. This is powerful. The effect of this death for all time, once for all, works backward and forward. Jesus Christ in his sacrifice becomes the, the, the center point of all time. This is why we have B.C. and A.D., right? Because Jesus is the way we measure time. Everything looked forward to him and now everything looks back to him. But here's why. Because Christ died once for all. Here's the deal. The sins of those in the Old Testament were forgiven As they trusted the promise of God through his sacrifice. But even then they knew this is incomplete. We need something greater. But God said, the greater is coming. Trust in me. So the sins of the Old Testament. You say, how are people saved in the Old Testament? If everybody has to come by faith in Jesus, they were saved by faith in the promise of God for Jesus to come. And then everybody from Jesus onward. How are we saved? We're saved by faith backward to Jesus. It's all looking to Jesus. He died once for all. 2,000 years after his death, we are forgiven as we look back in faith to trust that his blood washes our sins white as snow. His sacrificial work is done. I love this. Chapter 10, verse 12. We've already briefly talked about this, but every other priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Verse 12 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. With his death, it was done. This sheds new light to me on the words Jesus said from the cross when he said, it is finished. It is finished. The work of purification was done. It's in that moment, right, that the veil in the temple was torn. Why? Why? Because it was no longer needed. 
The whole system that God had established by which men could be, um, their sins could be covered, the whole system was no longer needed. It was torn from top to bottom. It was as, as if God was saying, we don't need the shadow anymore. We've got the reality. Jesus is here. No need looking to this anymore. Look to Christ. The work is done. If we continue reading in Hebrews 10, you get to verse 19 and 20. I want you to see this as you think about the veil in the temple being torn. Look at what verse 20 says. Or 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And just a minute. Well, what, what did he just say? Because for thousands of years now, no one's been allowed in the Holy of Holies except the priest. What did he just say? He says, therefore, we have confidence to enter the holy places. How? By the blood of Jesus. You can go in the holy place. And God was like, yes, I tore the veil. It's torn. You come to me through the blood of Jesus. You come all the way in. So Jesus is our only access to God. He's our only access to God. There is no other priest who can accomplish what he's accomplished. There is not another man who could die in your place. Only the God man could die for you. And he died. He shed his blood. His body was broken. But we now through him, through his blood, have access to God to go confidently into the holies by the blood of Jesus, He's our certain hope. And in Him, we find soul rest. Do you hear me? Jesus said, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. This yoke of this life is hard. And you can try everything you want to try to make yourself right with God. But it's, it's a heaviness you can't bear. Jesus said, if you're heavy laden, come to me. And I will give you what? Rest. You'll get true rest in Christ. Take my yoke upon you. Why his yoke? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Why? Because he's already done all the work. It's all done. It's finished. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's a relationship you've never known before. To call into a relationship. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your what? It's an internal, deep, at the core of who you are kind of rest. And it's an eternal, forever and ever and everlasting kind of rest. Because our priest lives forever. He is the ultimate priest. Look to Christ today, church.